Welcome to the Well Woman Show, where we interview women executives, leaders, and entrepreneurs. And you're listening to the Well Woman Show, where motivated women achieve fulfillment and well-being. You're listening to the Well Woman Show. Take time for myself by coming to things like Well Woman Drinks. To be accepting of myself no matter what. Step away from judgment as much as possible. You're listening to the Well Women Show. Just, you're going to be in for a good ride. I don't regret anything. Everything I've ever done, I've learned from it, one way or another, good or bad. Being a little bit selfish for yourself, you know, put your own oxygen mask on first and then give what's left. I'm a woman. I would prefer to, to tell my own story. My story, though it's very personal, is universal. You're listening to the Well Woman Show. And now your host, Giovanna Rossi. Hi, Giovanna Rossi here, and welcome to another episode of The Well Woman Show, where I interview women leaders, executives, and entrepreneurs about their lives and their road to becoming and being who they are today. Do you ever find yourself overwhelmed with your responsibilities, and it seems like you'll never get it all done? Well, you're not alone. We all need to remember to use our superpowers, the ones we already have but don't use all the time, and take advice and wisdom from one another. Towards the end of the show, in a segment called Superpowers for Success, I ask my guest about her superpowers, and the answers will give you the strength, perspective, and power to keep on being the well woman you are. I'm so happy you're here, so thanks for tuning in. Today's topic is how to use adaptability to overcome obstacles and find success. And hopefully by the end of the show, you'll be inspired to look at the challenges in your life as complex systems that you can work with. Consider the usefulness of role sharing and incorporate more flexibility in your life. But before we dive into the introduction of my guest, Merle Lefkoff, let's talk about 2017 and your well woman life. Chances are you're a smart and powerful woman. After all, you're listening to this podcast, right? You're also a leader in your family, in your work, and in your community. You want to live a healthy and well-balanced life. You want a sense of well-being and fulfillment. You want deep connections and to cultivate loving relationships. You already have what it takes to achieve this and more, but you face challenges such as burnout, a major life transition, health or other personal problems, or simply just not feeling fulfilled. You have the power to unlock and activate your superpowers in order to be who you know you are capable of being in order to live the life you know you're capable of living. These superpowers include self-love, self-awareness, and self-actualization. It's your time to stand in your power, and you're ready. In 2017, there's so much potential for you to live into your well-woman life. You work hard, you take care of your family, you're active in your community, You deserve to live your well woman life. So join our movement to beginning. So join the movement to begin living your well woman life. Here are two simple things you can do right away to get started. Join our Facebook community group at facebook.com slash groups slash well woman life community, or join the membership program to access a supportive community of well women, live events, and more at wellwomanlife.com slash membership. 
Okay, back to the show. I want to introduce Merle Lefkoff to you. She is an amazing social change entrepreneur whose practice is devoted to the application of nonlinear complex systems thinking to whole system change. I know that sounds really complicated, and it is, but she breaks it down really nicely in a way that you can then apply it in your own life. Merle holds a PhD in political science from Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia, and has been a mediator, facilitator, and leadership trainer in conflict zones around the world. She's founder and CEO of the Center for Emergent Diplomacy, which applies the self-organizing power of complexity science to global policy agendas in order to reach resilient and collaborative agreements that address the critical issues of our time. Today, Merle and I talk about how we can view problems as complex systems, how we can use adaptability and flexibility to overcome them, and why this is a particularly important and intuitive relationship for women. Now to my interview with Merle Lefkoff. Welcome to the program, Merle. Thank you so much, Giovanna. I'm so glad to be here. Merle, I want to start with this idea that you are a social scientist who applies uh, complexity science to peace building. So I want to know, what does that mean? And how does it impact women's lives and well-being? The new science of uh, complex systems, it's, it's actually the whole title is Complex Adaptive Systems which is being being birthed really at the Santa Fe Institute right here in New Mexico, is a whole different way of thinking about everything. It, it's about how systems are all connected, how we are connected in new networks in ways that have never happened before. This is especially important for women, I think. Women have always networked with one another, but they have an opportunity now to really scale up those networks to get their voices heard in new ways. I think that's one of the main things I think about when I think about how looking at complex systems is helping women now. Now, which complex systems are we talking about? Can you just give us the big, big picture view here? Every system is a complex system if it's dynamical. Um, the most complex system is, is our brain that we know of. Ecosystems are all complex adaptive systems. It has to do with the dynamics inside the system where change is happening constantly and evolution is happening constantly. So you could say, you know, you gather a group of friends together for dinner one evening, it becomes a little complex system because everybody is going to be talking and coming up with new ideas and dynamically interacting with one another, just like nature does. Okay. And how do we apply this information to real world issues and problems? And what does that look like? Like how it just doesn't seem tangible. It's a whole, as I said earlier, it's a whole new way about, it's a whole new way to think about problem solving. As one example, um, a book that came out recently, actually from the Santa Fe Institute, is a book that talks about the tyranny of objectives now, those of us who are planners like to do strategic plans. And what I say to my students now and when I'm facilitating groups is forget those plans because no plan survives the first contact. In today's world, everything is changing so rapidly. 
And not only is it changing rapidly, but things are happening very quickly that we need to respond to in completely new ways because these things are totally unexpected and we just had an election that talks about exactly that, that describes exactly what I'm saying. In complexity science, we call these events black swans. There's a whole story about black swans having been out of existence and suddenly they turned up again. So a discontinuous event that has never happened before is called a black swan, like 9-11. This election was a black swan for us. And so how are we going to cope with this? We can't cope using the same kinds of strategic linear thinking that we've always used in the past, because then we come up against blind alleys all the time. So what do we do? What, what, what is the new way of strategic planning if we're not using objectives and those kinds of things? The term in, in complexity science is self-organization. And when you see social movements that are building, all, all those young people in the last couple of nights who were unhappy about the results of the election, who came out and, and, and it, it was kind of like mini Occupy movements. If you'll remember watching the news the last couple of nights, there was no plan for that. There was no leader calling them together. They self-organized. This is the new model of how to think about being as adaptive as possible, which is to, we, we've always thought in terms of not only linear systems, but hierarchical and mostly, frankly, patriarchal models of leadership. So even the new leadership in complexity thinking is a different model. It's more distributed. It's more emergent. It's more um, evolutionary. And frankly, I think Women have always collaborated in these ways anyway. So now we have, shall we say, scientific validation of these models. <laughs> That's, yeah, exactly. I was just thinking that I was going to ask you, where does that leave leadership? If if people are self-organizing, what happens to leadership? So are we seeing new leaders emerge with these more distributed, emergent you know, collaborative ways, or are we teaching that? We're doing both, I think. Um, some of the the best new startups in Silicon Valley, for example, they have very horizontal structures. There's usually some there's usually some guy who's the genius at the top, but the way the organizations are run now is very, very different. These are young people who need who's, who need to be set free from um, these organizational charts. You know how linear they are, uh, where this this part of the chart is reporting to this part of the chart, reporting to this. That's gone now. And the reason for that is because there's a new entrepreneurial spirit about releasing the brain to solve these unprecedented problems that we have now, problems like global climate change. So so let's get to, to the issue of global climate change in just a minute. But let me ask you about this idea of like getting rid of org charts. And, you know, how do organizations that have used these tools for years and decades, and how do they begin to change that? Because it, it might feel to them like, it's complete chaos without this sort of structure. <laughs> I'm laughing because one of my favorite terms in complexity science is the edge of chaos. <laughs> <laughs> because um, physicists, 
will tell you that the edge of chaos is the moment at which there's a possibility for what they call a phase transition. I mean, change can happen very, very quickly. And you've probably heard the term the butterfly effect. Small changes can affect the whole system. 9-11 would be an example of that, and Trump's election would be an example of that. So chaos is here anyway. Um, to answer your question directly, I think one of the ways these organizations could move that along, because these are the new models that are going to help us solve these problems, is to let women, truly let women rise to the top, break, break those glass ceilings everywhere. What about when women who rise to the top are using the old tools, though? I mean, even if they naturally have more collaborative ways of leadership, they're, they're still using org charts and objectives and these kind of very linear um, structural things. We call them honorary men. <laughs> That's what we call them. Because they've come up through those patriarchal, hierarchical structures. This is how they've risen. They've had no choice. And the reason they haven't had a choice is because there isn't a critical mass yet. Um, women have got, I mean, everybody needs support around them. They need, they need their allies. They, they need their friends to, to be around them and, and supporting the same values that they have. There is still no critical mass of women who are doing that in the kinds of organizations you and I are talking about now. Um, we see that more, again, in my world of social movements, where women, both women and men, are coming in and out of the system all the time because the system is continually um, co-evolving with its leadership, which is distributed all through the system depending on what job has to be done. So my answer is we need more women, quote, at the top. We need more women all in there. We really do. But there has to be a critical mass before women can release their the way women think and the way women are in the world. Mm-hmm. So that's my answer to that. <laughs> yeah. And I just want to be really clear and kind of break this apart a little bit because it is difficult to think about our current issues and organizations and efforts um, on the edge of chaos in a new complexity world um, and achieving anything. So like, how do, you know, especially like, you know, leaders who have to apply for grants and have to write uh, reports to their funders about their progress and, you know, like, how does that all happen and still you know, work towards this self-organized new system? Yeah, you know, it isn't an either or. There are there are so many daily tasks where you have to have a goal, you have to have an objective, you have to work toward that. You may even want to measure whether you got there. But when it comes to systemic change, which is the world that I'm living in now, how do we change these systems that have failed us? How do we keep repeating the same mistakes over and over again and see that things are getting worse, not better, even though we're trying our best? And I believe part of that reason is because we're not thinking at a systems level. We're doing our daily, I call them band-aids. We're doing triage week after week, day after day. When you think at the systems level, that's when these kinds of processes really kick in because they're emergent, the, the solutions are what we call emergent properties of the processes that we're, that we're undertaking because you open up the space for those old structures to be disabled and to collapse so that new structures 
with new kinds of thinking can emerge. And you have to open up space for that and let go of those goals and outcomes. You might also have to let go of people <laughs> to do that, right? Like, what are, are, are people naturally self-protective and, and protecting their own jobs so that they're not open to these kinds of changes? Because it might mean that they need to get out of their own way. We have to take care of ourselves. You know that. We have to take care of ourselves, especially women have to take care of ourselves because we give, 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 give. Um, I think it's important when you, and I've seen this happen, when you suddenly realize that there's a new model of a way to think about change, and I'm talking about positive change now with the values that that we internalize and collaborate on. Um, when you realize that, sometimes you do have to get out of the way. Can I give you a quick story? Do we have time yeah, for that? Please. I used to facilitate a lot of women's groups back in the 70s and 80s, well, the 80s mostly, 80s and into the 90s. And these were Washington policy groups of women who were trying to change policy at the, at the national level. They were so frustrated. And the reason was when they had their meetings, they were determined not to be like the men. In other words, they would not have process that would be patriarchal in any way, which meant nobody was going to make a decision, right? And they were, they were floundering. They were, they were so, they were so determined not to be patriarchal that they couldn't get anything done. So, um, so when, when I came, when they asked me to come and help, I said, well, let's try something else. I said, you know, there's a policy you're trying to get through. Let's say it's, um, let's say it's six weeks off for women after they have a baby, no matter, and this becomes federal law, no matter where they work. Um, there are different ways, uh, different kinds of jobs that have to be done along the way. And there isn't just one person who knows how to do all of those things. So, what if what if you guys try a process where depending on what needs to be done this month or next month then it's um Emma's turn right and she makes the decisions and you can't undercut her you can only support her but then Emma's gone 2 months later because something else has to be done and then it's Jody's turn so you so they tried this this is a kind of a distributed leadership model right where you get the best person for that particular task especially if it's a big task and it seemed to work pretty well. They were having a lot of fun with it. They were getting the work done. Their meetings were a lot better because they would defer to whoever was in charge that week or that month. And uh, I think it worked at some level. It, it, uh, so this is an early version of this, this model where you give people room to grow and to, to search those spaces where the solutions might be. Fascinating. Okay. Um, Merle, I want to ask you what you're uh, working on right now and how that impacts women. I know you're teaching a course and you're doing a lot of different things, but just very briefly, what are you working on? Well, I am teaching a graduate course um, in Ottawa, in Ottawa, Canada. I'm teaching online. That's how I'm able to be home. My graduate students are high-level government employees for the Trudeau government, lucky them, uh, all over the world. And this is a course uh, about how to ap apply complexity thinking to peace building. Uh, these are um, these are students who work for uh, Global Affairs, which is the State Department in Canada, and all of these development agencies. 
and to, to, so that they can start thinking out of the box and using new processes where they're working as well. Um, and many of my students are women because they gravitate toward, <clears throat> excuse me, toward these kinds of jobs. And so I'm thrilled to be able to introduce complexity thinking into the high level policy work that they do in terms of relieving poverty and stopping wars and, um, and in the development world as well. I think it must be really hard to uh, work within a big bureaucracy like Canadian government or any government and be trying to change systems in these and the way that you're doing things. Yeah. Yeah. And that's exactly what we're doing in this course. They are, I mean, the work that they're doing is, it's part of the syllabus and, and part of the course is to develop scenarios. For example, we're working on a big scenario for what a future in Syria might look like, because they will be some of the people who will be doing development after this war ends. It's an endless war, but it will end eventually. Um, what, you know, what's going to happen immediately after? How do you get that ceasefire? Then how do you bring Syria back afterwards? So, so that's kind of an example, um, which forces them to start thinking in these terms in a new way. Um, they also have to do a lot of internal work on themselves. Uh, some of them work in war zones as I have for decades and, you really have to do a lot of inside work. It's an inside-outside job mm. to uh, take these theories of letting go, actually letting go of outcomes to open up space, uh, has to also be part of your own um, internal practice as well, which is a, a kind of a mindfulness practice, actually. Mm. Merle, can you describe a time in your life when you didn't put yourself first, when you weren't taking care of yourself the way you probably now know you need to? <laughs> I had four children in seven years. <laughs> Does that answer the question? <laughs> I was taking care of a husband and four children <laughs> for a very long time. And, uh, you know, I, in a way, I was taking care of myself when I answer that question. I, I'm not even so sure that's the right answer because I was very young. And um, I kind of thought it was fun and it was fun raising the kids. But um, I was paying a lot more attention to my husband's career. My attention was devoted to my husband's career and raising my children. And I wasn't thinking a lot about myself at that time. Um, and when I think back about whether I was truly ill, I had pneumonia. I had to go to the hospital for pneumonia. I had other, and I, I, I when I look back, I think it's because I, I wasn't paying enough attention to my own well-being. So when did that change? Did you have a moment where you made a shift in your, in how much attention you paid to yourself? When I got middle-aged. When I got to be middle-aged, I said, oh, my God, you better start taking care of yourself. You have a lot of work to do that you want to do in the world, and you're getting older now, and you better pay attention to your body and your health and your well-being. That's when it began to shift. But it was a long time before that happened. But, boy, I, I really remember it happened very quickly when I started thinking about it. Was there a moment that inspired that or uh, something that happened in your life that made that happen? <laughs> yes. I was getting ready to meet some friends to go backpacking in Australia, which had been one of my dreams. And I was packing up and I fell down a flight of stairs. <laughs> That's when I said, you know what? 
this shouldn't have happened. You weren't being mindful and attentive. You weren't paying attention. You were just, you've got to start paying attention to yourself and keeping yourself healthy and safe. And I'd never thought about that really very much before. But that's literally when it happened. By the way, I did go to Australia, finally, but that's another story. (laughs) Okay, Merle, we're going into a segment called Superpowers for Success. So I want to ask you a few quicker round uh, round of questions. The first one is, what does success in life mean for you? Oh, it's hard for me to talk about what success means for me without talking about Success, honestly, success for the people that I work with. Uh, we work at a global level, and I've always seen that everything is 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 connected that way. I can't feel successful when there's still uh, global climate change, and and it's just really going to be out of control soon, I believe, because it's exponential the growth of climate change. Uh, when when there's still growing inequality in the world. And more and more poverty. Um, it's hard for me to feel successful. So I, I I don't know what else to say about that. I keep striving to make sure that we have some successes that we can talk about out there, and I think there are some. But you have worked for many many years on with people on global issues, and um, what. When did you know that you're really good at what you do? <laughs> you know, I'm going to say I'm not good enough. I mean, look what's happening all around us. You know, I was very lucky. I raised my family in Atlanta, Georgia. And very early on, I got to know Jimmy Carter uh, at a very early age. Um, and so I worked as and I was really young. I worked in his first gubernatorial campaign, his first gubernatorial campaign. And then to make a long story short, fast forward, uh, who knew that Jimmy Carter was going to be president? We never dreamed it. It was kind of like Trump in a way, because nobody had ever heard of this peanut farmer from Georgia. Uh, so I, I, uh, went to work for the campaign. I was teaching at the time, took a leave of absence from my university and ended up spending a year, uh, consulting in the White House with Jimmy Carter. So once you've been there and you see the world at that level, and he was kind of a mentor for me because peace building was also his thing, as you remember, um, that kind of jump started the career for me that I knew I would have when my children left for college. And can you describe a personal habit that contributes to your own well-being? Oh, that's easy. I meditate every day. Uh, I it's just it's just part of waking up, and brushing my teeth, and I can't imagine not taking time out. To have, and it doesn't have to, I've told my students this, it doesn't have to be meditation, but some kind of contemplative practice, some kind of mindfulness practice where you quiet your brain so it can be more successful for you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. What do you say to people who say, I don't have time for that? Uh, to me, it's like saying, I don't have time to go to the bathroom. I don't have time to brush my teeth. Um, I, I, you know, I don't have time to turn out the lights at night. You can make time for it. And we have a lot of neuroscience, a lot of science around this, which tells us that even 10 minutes a day really makes a difference. So I say no excuse. Now, 
just tell me very quickly what your morning routine is, because I think we need to hear exactly the steps because people who are listening want to, uh, maybe already, may already have a meditation practice, but some of us get out of the habit. We think, well, when do we fit that in? We're, you know, we're getting the kids ready for school. We're trying to get to a meeting. We're trying to do this and that everything is happening. What, when do you actually make that happen? I tried to, I actually try to meditate twice a day. That doesn't always happen, but I always meditate first thing in the morning. Um, and then I do a very simple, it takes about 15, less than 20 minutes yoga stretch. Um, and that's how I start my morning before I do anything else. I, I do my meditation for, uh, and it's a short meditation, usually no more than 15 minutes. And then I do my little yoga thing and, uh, then I have my cup of tea. I don't drink coffee. And I, then finally I open my computer. <laughs> so um, I, I just think you have to, you know, you just have to get centered. You have to get settled in the morning when you wake up. Do you sleep with your phone near you? Absolutely not. It's as far away from my bed as it can possibly be. <laughs> but I do, I do every night sleep with a novel next to my bed. Oh, that's good. I read fiction at night because I have to read so much other stuff that isn't fiction. It's a good it's a good thing to do before you go to sleep. Well, that was one of my questions is what are you reading right now? What's on your nightstand? Oh, I I just finished All the Light We Cannot See. It's a wonderful novel. I don't specialize in war novels just because I work in conflict zones, but this is a remarkable novel about um, World War II uh, and the occupation of, of the French occupation during World War II. It's a remarkable novel. Merle, what superpower did you discover you had only to realize it was there all the time? Oh, that's such an interesting question. A superpower that I had uh, at this point in my life, probably longevity. <laughs> I have to say it, Chima. <laughs> right? I didn't think at my age, which will not go public right now, <laughs> at my age that I'd still be working full blast at this time. So, you know, um, it's that, that's, if I have a superpower, that's it. I'm still going strong long, you know, long after almost all my peers have retired. So, commitment and consistency and sticking to it. Yeah. Um, what advice would you give your 25 or 30 year old self? <laughs> um, <laughs> it was a long time ago, <laughs> 25 or 30. What advice I would give would be to um, pay more attention to the world and what was happening around me. Not, I mean, I was so focused on my, my children and, um, but there's a whole, there's a whole world out there. And I think in retrospect, it would have helped my children if I had been more connected, uh, as I was finally when I started getting involved in politics, uh, with Jimmy Carter. If I'd been more connected with what was going on in the world, I might have, I might have given them, um, more of the value system that I feel so strongly about today. Not that they don't share those values, but I think I think it would have made a difference if I'd paid more attention to the way we're connected with the rest of the world. 
Do you identify as a feminist? <laughs> of course. <laughs> I've been through several waves of feminism, actually. Absolutely. I, you know, how, how can we not be feminists? Of course. <laughs> Merle, it's been such a pleasure talking to you this afternoon. Thank you so much for being on the show. Well, you're a very good interviewer, and this was a lot of fun. Thank you, Giovanna. <laughs> That's it for our show today. I've been speaking with Merle Lefkoff, a social change entrepreneur whose practice is devoted to the application of nonlinear complex systems thinking to whole systems change. I spoke with Merle about how to look at problems as complex systems, how to use resources and flexibility to overcome them, and why this process is so important and natural for women. You can get all the show notes and other information at wellwomanlife.com slash 049 show. Our monthly live event, Well Woman Drinks, brings women together to share our successes and challenges, and I encourage you to join us. Wellwomanlife.com slash events for more information. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment and subscribe in iTunes and definitely leave a review. This helps raise visibility of the show, which is super helpful when it comes to sharing it with other women around the world. You can continue the conversation with us in the Well Woman Life Community group at facebook.com slash groups slash Well Woman Life Community or join our membership at wellwomanlife.com slash membership. For feedback, comments, or just to let me know you were listening today, find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Well Woman Life. I'm Giovanna Rossi for the Well Woman Show. Until next time, have a super powerful week.